Hey, everybody. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Uh, this has been another good week of recovery, and so I'm really pleased with progress. I got a CAT scan on Friday just to make sure I was having some persistent pain, and uh, we made sure, and everything is good according to that CAT scan, so that's good news. Uh, we like that. And uh, the wound is healing, the infection is gone, and all that good stuff. And, uh, you know, I, I have no idea what Bobby was talking about, about his wimp stuff. But I, I, I just wish I had a camera that uh, I could have taken a picture and then put a slide up here because during first service, after he made all that derogatory, those derogatory com- comments about me and this whole wimp thing, he's down in children's ministry laying on his back, okay? <laughs> That's how hard he works, okay? Just so you know that. Uh, down there with his leg all propped up. So I tell you, you just got to take it the way it is. Now, uh, today, what I want to ask you to do is, first of all, get your message notes out. Open your Bible to Matthew chapter 3. We're going to be looking at a story about Jesus today uh, and his journey uh, that he begins with his baptisms. That's why we had baptisms today, because I wanted you to be able to see what a baptism looks like as we talk about it. For us all to be able to relate to what it was that Jesus did and then how we can be like him in this way uh, through baptism. Uh, We're talking, though, today about identity, Uh, that when Jesus was baptized, his identity was made known so that uh, everyone knew then who he was and why he, had came, why he came. Now, this, this idea of identity is something we all struggle with in so many different ways. Uh, just thinking about this, so I want to ask some questions for us this morning to kind of help us to understand. Have you ever wanted to be someone you're not? You know, you just wanted to be someone you're not. You look at someone else, and they have the perfect eyes or the perfect hair, the perfect lips. Uh, they have the perfect biceps or quads or, you know, they seem to look like they've got it all together. Have you ever wanted to be someone else that you're not? Have you ever wanted to be more than you are? You know, you're just thinking, okay, is this it? Is this all I get to be? And you just look at that and think, I, I really think that I would like to have more. And you look at other people and they seem to have more than you do and it leaves you dissatisfied. Have you wanted to be different in some way? And you look at yourself and you say, you know, if I could make some changes and then uh, we have a lot, a lot of industries today designed to help you make changes because you're not satisfied with the way you are. But have you ever wanted to be different than the way you are? Have you ever been dissatisfied? Uh, have you ever even been, let's just be honest, have you ever been just a little bit angry at the genetic makeup that you received from God? Have you ever just been a little bit angry at the way he made you? Do you ever feel like you just don't measure up? You know, you look at everybody else and you think, I... I just don't measure up in some way. Uh, you know, you look at um, our culture, and uh, much of what our culture uh, is about is about being better than you are, is improving. There's all this improvement. We're, you know, honestly, just think about this. We're all trying to get back to the Garden of Eden, okay? So we just keep trying to get back to the Garden of Eden to perfection. So we do everything we can to look perfect, to be perfect in some way. Have you ever been like that, that you're thinking, you know, and you look at co- uh, the way society works. Society works and is based on, our culture, especially in America, is based on this whole idea that if you could be, you could have something changed in you, that you would be more satisfied with who you are. In fact, uh, I was reading this past week that 70% of our economy in America is driven by consumer spending 
consumer spending. All, you know, we create all of these desires, all these dissatisfactions, and then we have to buy and spend more so that we can somehow make ourselves be better. We all struggle with this idea of identity. Do you ever feel a lack of contentment with what you have? And you just look at other people and they seem to have more than you do, and you wish that you could have that. Somehow if you thought you could, then you would be happier. Well, this whole idea of identity and is who am I and what is my purpose, I just want you to know, this is all something we, every one of us struggles with in some way. We all struggle with this whole idea. And so therefore, if we struggle with it, it stands to reason that God, our creator, would have something to say, that he would have something to say about identity. And we're going to look at that today as we gather together. We're going to learn from Jesus. And I hope today as we learn from him that we're going to learn that we can develop the art of contentment And as we develop that, we can discover the power of purpose. And then we can realize that if I'm content and I can have purpose, then I can live out the identity that God's called me to make. And then I will be the most fulfilled. So we're in this series, and it's called Like Jesus. And the whole idea of this is that if the goal of life as a follower of Christ is that I would become like Jesus, then first of all, I need to know what Jesus was like, right? I need to know what he was like. And then I look at what he was like and the way he lived, and then I say, okay, I want to do some of the same things that Jesus did so that by chance, as God's working in me, I can end up looking like him as I live my life. If we're going to look, if we're going to end up looking like Jesus, we're going to living like Jesus, then we have to do the things that Jesus did. We have to embrace the life that Jesus lived. We have to accept the path that Jesus walked. And so we're looking at that. Now grab your Bible, Matthew chapter three. We're going to begin today, I believe, with, chapter, with verse three. Uh, and at the top of your message notes, there are theme verses. And the first one is First John chapter two. And I'm asking if you it's on the screen. So let's just all read it together out loud. Okay, ready to go. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. And so the whole idea is that. And then Jesus himself spoke in John chapter 13. And here's what he said to us in John chapter 13. I have given you an example to follow, an example to follow. And so it's kind of built into that whole idea is that follow it, you know, just do it. I've given you this example. Now just do it. And that's what we've been looking at in this series, and it's been phenomenal. Your response, and I think some of the ideas that have come up as we've looked at Jesus, we've gotten to know him better. So what I want to do today is we're going to just kind of jump backwards from where we were last week a little bit, and we're going to look at Jesus' baptism. You know, Jesus, this is his moment when he's going to say to the world, this is who I am. So I'm going to give you some background and some context. I've been really trying to do that a lot more, especially after our 40 days in the Word teaching, and we made such a big deal about context. I want to give you some context to help you understand the story just a little bit more. Jesus' story actually begins with John the Baptist. It begins with a man named John, and this man named John, uh, about six months earlier, had started his public ministry, and uh, about six months earlier from the story we're looking at, it started his public ministry. John was born to Elizabeth and Zechariah, and he was given some prophetic words about his life, his purpose, and that he would be the one who would declare the way of the coming Messiah. Now, John, that was what he was doing now. So he began that ministry, and John had one message, okay? And uh, actually, he had one, a one-word message. I thought, what would that be like if I had a one-word message? What would I say? What would be the one word that I'd want to say if I could? Well, here is John's one-word message, okay? You ready? Repent. 
repent. Repent. That was his one word. And I don't know how many times he said it or with what kind of gusto he said it with, but that was his message. His goal was to call people away from their own pursuits to a pursuit of God. He was calling them away from their pursuit of religion to pursuit of God. He was calling them away from their pursuit of possessions and power and prestige, and he was calling them to live a life of obedience to God. He was calling them, especially when it came to baptism, to take a stand, to commemorate the commitment that they were making, their desire to turn from this way to God's way. And he says, as you turn to God's way, I'd like you to, I want you to commemorate that with the act of of baptism. So John had a one-word message, repent, and then people would line up and they would be baptized. He would baptize them after they made their commitment. So that was John, and that was his baptism. And so therefore, as John became known, he became known as John the Baptist. So we know him today, John the Baptist, or you could have called him John the Baptizer, or uh, maybe a better way to John the Dunker, okay? Because uh, he just dunked people and he had the Jordan River and got them in there and he just slammed them down, I'm sure, and brought them back up. And it was just a, a John the Dunker, John the Baptist. So, what I want to do, and by the way, John did this every day, every day except the Sabbath. John would go down to the Jordan River and he would deliver his message for anyone who came to hear repent, 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 repent. And then as people would make their choice, they would line up. And maybe some days they lined up for even hours and they stood in line, everyone waiting to come into the Jordan to be baptized by him. This is the new movement. God is moving in a way that is waking people up. It's a fresh wind. There's a new thing that is happening. And so let's read what's going on in Matthew chapter three, beginning in verse four. John's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. Maybe he's from Nevada County. I'm not sure. <laughs> or maybe he lived in my house. Some of the dietary restrictions we have in our house or choices, I guess, would be better too. People from Jerusalem and from all Judea and all over the Jordan Valley went out to sea and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. Now, what John made it real clear, and John understood that his ministry was more than just a movement to call people back to God. So, you know, I mean, sure, there was lots of times where they would have, quote-unquote, I'll use the term, revival, and a revival would happen, and there would be an indication that people were far from God, and they'd be calling them back to God. But John's ministry was more than just a ministry of calling people back to God. His purpose was to get people ready for the coming of the Messiah. So he was getting people ready for the coming of Jesus Christ. So as he's given that word from the angel, as Zechariah's dad was given that word when he was in the temple from the angel, that he would be the one who would declare the coming of Jesus. That was his role. So just understand, as we move forward today, here's a concept you need to understand. Your identity determines your purpose. Your identity determines your purpose. And we're going to look at that in Jesus. We see that in John as well about what he did. Now look at what John had to say about his purpose. He says this, I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone who's coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not worthy to be his slave and carry his sandals. That's pretty doggone great, right? Not worthy to be a slave or carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So that's what John is teaching. 
Uh, this is what John is expecting, and now he's been doing this, or like I said, for about six months, every day except the Sabbath, declaring the message that people need to turn to God, and that as they're turning to God, it's in preparation so that they can be ready for the entrance of the Messiah as God's about to do something he's never done before, never done before. It's just amazing as he's getting to do this. And on this day, I'm sure John, he's out in the water and he's baptizing, you know, repent, repent, repent. People get in line. He's baptizing them as a commemoration of their desire to pursue God. And he's making sure that everyone understands that. And, and a man gets in line. A man gets in line. And the one day that John had been waiting for finally came. And look at what it says in Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. Now, just got to understand here. Jesus didn't just happen by that day. He wasn't just like, you know, walking down the road. Oh, there's John over there. I think I'll go get baptized. In order for Jesus to be at this place on this day, it had to be on purpose and it had to be decisive because he had to travel from Galilee to the Jordan was about a 60 to 70 mile hike. So he went here on purpose to make his declaration that he's going to make in this baptizing. And he says this. And so he came to John. He's, they're standing face to face. I have no idea how well John knew Jesus. They lived 70 miles apart, you know, and that transportation wasn't easy in that day. I don't know how well they knew each other. I'm sure that their parents had told them about the prophecies and told them about birth. But I don't even know if John would have recognized Jesus when he came to stand before him. But it seems that he did. And it seems as he looks right in his eyes, this is what he says to him. John prevented him. Whoa, 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 whoa. I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So there's so much symbolism here that I want us to get the symbolism before we even get to us and what this means for us. It's just amazing that when you think about it, that Jesus, the Son of God, he came and he identifies himself as God's chosen one through an act that was specifically designed for people who were admitting that they had sinned, specifically admitting they had sinned and they were far from God and they were coming back to God. Now, just notice, just think about this. If you know your Bible at all, Jesus didn't, know to, didn't need to be baptized because... Uh, according to John's baptism, because he was what? Perfect. He was sinless. So Jesus hadn't, hadn't anything. He wasn't turning from anything. He was actually coming to identify himself in a way that we're going to look at in just a little bit. His heart was close to God. He was sinless. He had nothing to, to repent from. And so John, when he's standing there, he knows who Jesus is at this moment. He knows the prophecy. He knows everything about Jesus. So he's actually surprised. And he says to Jesus, Oh, hey, what's this? Well, Jesus, what's going on here? It's you who should be baptizing me. I'm not worthy to baptize you is what John says. And so let's just get it straight right now, Jesus. Let's just change positions, okay? Let's just change positions. Now you think about this. You think about what's been going on day after day after day where John's baptizing people in repentance as they come to God and turn to him. Just imagine how dramatic it would have been actually if they could have changed positions 
and would have changed positions. And John now stops. Oh, everybody, everybody, wait, everybody listen, everybody focus here right now because I've been talking to you about the one who's coming. He's here right in front of me and I'm gonna get baptized by him today. You can imagine everybody would go, what? They'd open their mouths in shock. They'd been so amazed. But what's about to happen is even more shocking when Jesus allows himself to be baptized by John. What you need to understand, it's not the act of baptism that makes you right with God. It's the choice you make now about Jesus Christ that makes you right with God. And so it's what Jesus Christ did when he went to a cross that makes it possible for us to be forgiven. So what Jesus says to John is he says this, I am doing this today out of obedience to my father out of obedience to my Father. Now, there's a lot of discussion about what Jesus meant when he says that we must fulfill all righteousness and uh, a lot of opinions and a lot of reasons why people think that baptism is essential and what Jesus was demonstrating through his baptism at that day. There's several views as to why he's baptized. The first was he came to identify with sinners. And, you know, that's actually, you know, pretty good because it says that the righteous came to die for the unrighteous. That's what it says in the Bible. So when he came, he was actually identifying with our need to be cleansed. And he was identifying that he's the one that came to save us. And so when we're baptized then, when we are baptized in the water, we're put underneath the water, we're raised up, is that we're identifying with Jesus, we're identifying with his life, we're identifying with his resurrection. So the first thing is that people think is that, it, is that he was identifying with us because we have sin. Second thing is people say Jesus was baptized to set an example for us. So he was on that day just saying, here's what, and by the way, we're going to get to this in a little while where he does say, here's what I want you to do is that he's just setting an example for us. He's saying, if I'm going to ask you to do it, I'm going to do it. So that's how some people view baptism. A third way that people view baptism is that Jesus was launching his ministry. This is coming out of the closet moment. And so he's now, for 30 years, he's just been living in obscurity. And this is the first moment where he's going to come onto the public stage. And his baptism was the way that he was going to open up himself to his ministry. That's another reason. And then another reason that people say that Jesus was baptized is that it illustrates his mission. And so if you think about baptism, immersion, where you're placed under the water, Jesus' mission, ultimate mission, was to come to die, and then he would be raised again. So it illustrates his mission, the ultimate purpose for which he came. But there is another reason that I think that I just want you to grab hold of today uh, I think all of them are good. I don't think there's anyone that's maybe wrong. None of them are spelled out in the Bible except this one. This one's more clearly spelled out in the Bible. And here's the reason. All through Jesus' life, as he walked the face of the planet, he did not set himself. He's perfect, okay? He's God. He's the Son of God. He created the world. He gave us the Bible. He you know, spoke all these things. But all through his life, he did not set himself up above the commands of God. He could have right? Because he's, he did not set himself up above the commands of God. In fact, what we looked is we're looking at like Jesus, and we talked about in this series, he kept every command of God. He was obedient in every way to every word that God had spoken. He obeyed all the Sabbath laws. He obeyed all the laws about giving. He obeyed all the laws about purification. You look at Jesus' life, he obeyed all the laws. So when Jesus is baptized on this day, here's what he's saying. He's saying, I am doing as God guides. 
I am doing as God guides. This is what God asks of people, and I will do it because everything God desires is righteous. So I'm going to do it on this day because everything God asks is righteous, and I'm going to identify with him, and I'm going to, even though I don't do it because I'm a sinner, I'm identifying with the fact that everybody would be obedient to God. I'm just showing us that. Wow. So John said, okay, <laughs> whatever, Jesus, whatever you say, I'm open to this. And so John baptizes Jesus, puts him under the water, and lifts him up. And at the moment that John lifts him up, all heaven broke loose. I mean, literally, all heaven broke loose. The heavens split. Now, we're not sure exactly what that means because the Bible doesn't give us a clear example of this. But if, you know, by the way, Jesus' baptism is recorded in all four Gospels. Shows us the significance of it. His birth is only recorded in two, but his baptism is recorded in all four. If you go to Mark's record of Jesus' baptism, he uses a word for the heavens were split, which would show something more like it was a violent event. It was a violent event. You know, something like a 7,000 ton meteor streaking through the sky at 33,000 miles an hour. You guys all saw that, right? Something like that. Something that violent that just kind of everybody's like, oh. And then it says that the Holy Spirit descends not as a dove, but like a dove. And we're not sure what that was like either. Uh, You just think about that whole thing because in Acts, when the Holy Spirit descends in Acts, the Holy Spirit comes as fire and wind. So, you know, kind of think about this a moment. Jesus is baptized. The heavens split. Something like a 7,000-pound ton meteor streaking through the sky at 33,000 miles an hour. There's a sonic boom. There's a bang. All of a sudden, you see this fiery, swirling, windy thing that looks like a dove coming down. And you're like, whoa, what's going on here? And people were mesmerized. They were scared out of their socks. They, didn't, they were running. They were standing because they were frozen, all kinds of things. And then just silence. And there's a voice that speaks and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I don't have time to go into this in depth, but I just want to give you uh, some references here. God spoke, and this is so cool, he spoke his own word. He spoke his own word. So when he spoke at that moment, he was referring to two passages from the Old Testament. The first one is Psalm chapter 2, verses 7 through 9. And he made a reference to that. And it, it was that the coming Messiah would be given a royal title. So when he says, my beloved son, that's from Psalm chapter 2. And that my son would have a royal title and he would be a king. And when people would look at his com- the coming king, as they were picturing that from Psalm chapter 2, he would come with a sword drawn and he would slay all the enemies. Okay, that that would be the strength of the king that's coming. That's the reference from Psalm chapter 2. But then he combines it with the reference from Isaiah. Chapter 42 begins the servant passages about the fact that the son in whom I am well pleased is a servant. He comes as a servant. He doesn't come to wield a sword, but he's royal, but he comes to serve. He's coming as a king. He's going to let, he deserves everything that a king deserves of royalty, but he's going to humble himself, as we saw a couple of weeks ago, and actually wash feet, but he's actually going to humble himself and go to a cross and die. That's the king that is coming. So when God declared, when God spoke on that day, he identified the identity of his son. The identity and the purpose of his son. My son, 
the king. He's coming, and he deserves all royalty. And if he chose, he could call up 10,000 angels, and he could just whip up on everybody and get everything his way. But he's not coming in that kind of, to be that kind of king. He's coming as a servant. And what he's going to accomplish will be through a suffering servant. Now, can you imagine being there? What a moment this must have been. Just, I don't think, you know, of course they didn't understand everything that was happening at the moment. We're not even sure we understand everything that happened right there. But just imagine, Jesus was being identified with the purpose, with the identity and purpose that God had given him. God spoke, son, this is your identity. You are mine, and my purpose is now yours. My purpose is now yours. Now, oftentimes when we think about identity, our identity is tied to what we do, right? It's just tied to what we do so many times. You know, I'm sitting up here speaking and preaching, if you want to use a term like that. So I must be a pastor because that's what I'm doing, right? Uh, uh, I was able to have children. And when we had children, I, you know, because I did what it took to have children and we accomplished that, then I'm now a father because of something that I did. Uh, I stood before a crowd one day and uh, looked at the most awesome, beautiful woman on the face of the planet, and I'll fight anyone who didn't, you know, wants to talk otherwise, and I said, I do, and because I did something and said, I do, at that moment, I became a husband, you know, and you look at that, and so you think about that, so some of you say, okay, I fix cars, therefore I am a mechanic, or I build buildings, therefore I am a builder. Uh, most often, we're deter- our identity is determined by what we do. Here's the really cool thing here. At this moment in Jesus' life, as far as we know, he had done absolutely nothing. Nothing. And here's what I want some of you to hear today, because some of you really need this. God looks at his son, who at this moment, who had done absolutely nothing, and said, because of who you are, you are my beloved son. And I am well pleased with you. Do you ever feel that? Personally, do you ever feel that I'm his beloved son, I'm, I'm his beloved daughter, apart from what you do? So many of us are caught up and I've got to do, 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 do more, 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 more. I've got to earn, 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 earn. I've got to work, 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 work. And I'm just so busy doing all that. I never get to celebrate that I am God's chosen one. And that's what I want you to get today from this whole idea of identity and understanding that we can rest in the fact that we are his chosen daughters and sons. We're going to look at that in just a minute. So now, once you flip your notes over, there's the story, and I want us to apply it to us today, okay? To our baptism, okay? When we're baptized, uh, four ideas, and the first one is this. Baptism demonstrates my salvation. First of all, baptism demonstrates my salvation, When we come to Jesus, when we, you know, come into relationship with him, uh, it's not much different, honestly, than when people were coming and they were listening to John the Baptist. That when we come to Jesus, the first thing we hear, in fact, look at this verse from Acts chapter 238. This is the first message, first sermon uh, ever preached after Jesus was resurrected And it begins this way, as he was calling people. Each of you, you might circle that, each of you, doesn't leave anybody out, must repent, circle that word repent, of your sins and turn to God, 
and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for, your, for the forgiveness of your sins, then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, what we need to understand is that becoming a follower of Jesus Christ requires much, much more than just a mental ascent. Much, much more. I've been doing a lot of reading lately. And there's a lot of books being written right now and uh, really trying to kind of uh, talk about and understand uh, why it is that when uh, fo- people who say they're followers of Christ are asked questions about morals and values and what do they, what do they agree to or not agree to, uh, that when they're compared with people who don't know followers of Jesus Christ, and this is shaming, there's very little difference. Very little difference. Why? Well, a lot of fresh wind folks are writing about this today, and they're saying the reason this possible, possibly could be is that there are a lot of people who have given a mental assent to belief in Christ, and yet they've never repented of their old life. They've never walked away from their old behaviors. They've never walked away from the things that they were doing before they said yes to Christ. And when we read these words of Peter, he, he says right up front, your first step is what? to repent. Now, three things that repent means, okay? Repent means first confession, and so it means I come to the place where I understand that I have sinned, that I'm not perfect, that I've broken God's moral law, so the first one is I confess to him. Secondly, contrition, and so contrition basically means I have godly sorrow. You can read about that in, uh, I think, 2 Corinthians. Paul talks about a godly sorrow, and it's not sorrow for being caught. It's sorrow that I've done what I've done. And so I have this godly sorrow. So I have contrition. And the third is commitment. So the three C's that have to do with repentance. The third one is commitment. And so now I'm committing myself to live differently. So I'm turning from the way I was living. I realize what I was living with was wrong. I'm confessing to God that it was wrong. I feel godly sorrow because of that. And I'm turning, which is what repentance means. It's a change. And I'm saying to God, I'm going to commit to live for you for the rest of my days. Live for you. So the first step to salvation is repentance. And when I'm baptized, I'm basically saying, I'm, you know, and this is why we, you know, we talk a lot. We have baptism classes here. We try to help folks really understand why you're being baptized today is that my baptism is saying I'm choosing to live differently now. You know, it's when Mark baptized at the end of every person, he asked them, are you willing now to become training to live the rest of your life like Jesus? So I'm going to repent. And I'm going to commit to that in baptism. So that's the first thing it demonstrates. Second, baptism demonstrates my new identity. It demonstrates my new identity. So just as uh, Jesus' baptism designated his identity, our baptism designates our identity as well. Uh, And so we like to say it here is when you're baptized, you're going public for Jesus. You're letting everyone know that you are now different. Look at what Paul says in Romans 6, 4. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Would you circle that? New lives. Because of what Jesus Christ did for us, when we say yes to him, we are made new. Now, this goes against everything that our culture values. Our culture values this whole idea that you're validated 
by what you do or about what you didn't do or about what you have or what you didn't have or what you know or what you don't know or about you wear or don't wear or drive or don't drive or where you live or don't live in some way. So we end up being evaluated by external signs in our culture. And what that leads to is it leads to a perpetual identity crisis. And God comes to us and he says, when you are baptized, the significance of that is that you are identifying with the fact that you are no longer the old person. You have died to the old way and you are a new person now and you have a new life and you have a new identity. And really cool because the Bible tells us what that identity is like. In Romans 8, 15, it says this, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Here is the identity of a follower of Jesus Christ. You are a son or you are a daughter of the Most High God. You are a son or a daughter of the Most High God. You are co-heirs with Jesus Christ. All royalty is due to you as just as it was to Jesus Christ. As he is a king, you are a king as well. You are a queen. You are a son or a daughter of the Most High God. That is your identity. Not what anyone says about you. Not what you do in life. Not what you have in life. Not what you become. But what Jesus did for you and what God says about you. I love Tim Keller. Tim Keller is an amazing uh, pastor over in New York City. Uh, does, he's a, one of the deepest thinkers I've ever read. And this is what he says. He says, our adoption means that we are loved like Christ is loved. We are honored like he is honored. The more you live out who you are in Christ, the more you become like him in actuality. Can you believe that? Do you believe that today? We live with so many words in our heads about what people have said about us, and we live with all the measurements about what what we uh, believe about ourselves. But I want you to believe today that when God said, when you say yes to Jesus Christ, you are now a new person, and you are as honored as Christ is honored. It's just, I just need all to get there. I need to get it. I need to get it. And we'll get off that treadmill of performance and trying to earn our way into acceptance by others. Okay, next, baptism demonstrates my obedience. It demonstrates my obedience. So what Jesus is doing here is he's modeling, just go back to that example idea, he's modeling what he would eventually command. Okay, so he's not commanding yet, but he's modeling what he would eventually command for every person who would follow him. At the very end of his time on earth, right before he was taken, ascended to be in heaven, Jesus says these words in Matthew 28, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth, therefore go and make disciples. A disciple is a follower of Christ. It's someone who says, I was, no, I was a far from God, now I've received salvation, I've repented, and I'm following him. Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So Jesus bookended his life, his ministry with his own baptism, and now he's declaring, everybody who follows me, be baptized. Be baptized. You see, folks, this is what shows you. Baptism wasn't made up by the church. Baptism was made up by God. God designed baptism as our way that we would express what has happened inside of us and our declaration that we will turn and follow him. So here's the deal. This is the hard part. If you've never been baptized... 
after you said yes to Jesus as your forgiver, as your healer, as your deliverer, and as your leader, if you've never been baptized, after you did that, you are living in disobedience. You are living in disobedience. And I say it that clearly, because Jesus made it that clear when he said, be baptized. Now, I know you. I know your heart. You're, you, know, you really want to do what God wants you to do. And so some of you are going, I, I just thought this was about baptism. I didn't think this was about obedience. I thought it was something the church did and was asking me to do. Uh, or I was baptized as an infant. Didn't that count? That was awesome. But it's not what we're talking about. We're talking about your choice to be baptized after you said yes to Jesus Christ. So if you've never been baptized after you accepted what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross, I just want to ask, why not? Why not? Just ask God, why not? It's just not acceptable. It's just not. So today, I just want you to, I'm going to challenge those of you who've never been baptized. I'm going to ask you to grab that connection card at some point, and I'm just going to ask you to write baptism on the back. I don't want this, you know, service to get away from you, and you say, okay, I'll do that later. I'll make it, I'll sign up later. Just let me know later. Just do it today while the Spirit's moving, while God's speaking to you today, and we're having baptisms coming up. April, April 21st is the next one where we're going to be able to baptize indoors in the nice sanitary hot tub, <laughs> and then on June 2nd, for those of you who say, you know, I really want to be more like Jesus baptism and do it all natural, is that we're going to go out to Lake Wildwood on June 2nd, and we're going to baptize people, as many as want to be baptized that day, outdoors. So we're going to have two options, April 17th and June 2nd. So if you write baptism today, then we are going to get you scheduled and set up that you would go public for Jesus and that you would say today, I want to be obedient to what God says. Third idea, fourth idea is this. Baptism demonstrates my reliance. It demonstrates my reliance. My reliance upon God's Holy Spirit. So basically when I'm baptized, I'm, two, things are, I'm, two things I'm demonstrating one or experiencing. One is, and this is going to be so freeing for some of you today, one is rest. Rest. See, when I say yes to Jesus, the Father looks at me and he's pleased. And so I no longer have to work for his pleasure, to gain his pleasure. And some of us had earthly fathers or we have authority figures that we could never do enough. And so we always feel like we could never do enough for God. And so we just strive, strive, work, work, go, go. And when I say yes to him and I receive his identity, I can rest. And some of us just need to rest. Just rest in what he's done. But the second one is that I have new power. When Jesus was baptized, it says the Holy Spirit came upon him. Came upon him. And then when we say yes to Jesus, the Bible says the Holy Spirit comes upon us and gives us the power to live the life he's called us to live. I don't have to break up, you know, crank up the power on my own. I can trust that he's given me the power. If he's asked me to do it, he's given me the power to do it. He will empower me to do what he's asked. And so I can rely on him to do that. Look at what it says in 2 Corinthians 4, and I love this. This is one of my theme verses. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from 
ourselves. So when I'm baptized, I'm saying I realize I'm saved by God. I realize that I have a new identity. I'm seeking to be obedient. And I'm saying now I'm relying on God for everything else the rest of the way. Would you bow your heads and let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for this story that's written, the actual fact of the baptism of Jesus Christ. And I pray today, God, that you would speak to, that you've spoken to every one of us and we would know what step we're to take today. It's not about pleasing the pastor, pleasing the church. It's about pleasing you. And God, I just pray today for those who have never been baptized that they would say, ah, okay, I didn't understand it. I will. God, I pray for everyone in the room who's never said yes to Jesus Christ. I just want to give you a chance that you would want to say yes to him today. And just go through that step I listed there first would be confession. You would just confess that you have sinned, that you know that you've done wrong. Contrition, that you would just express to God sorrow over the harm you've caused to him and his name and others. And then commitment, that you would say to him, God, I want to live for you for the rest of my days. And Father, I just pray now that every one of us would understand, every one of us who are in Christ would understand the identity we've been given and that we would truly live as sons and daughters and hold our heads high of the Most High God. That is our identity. And our purpose? Live like Jesus. We ask for your power. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.